Bring it in. It is Super Bowl week. Super Bowl 56. Six days away from the time we're recording this right now. Five days from the time you're listening. And we we have committed the whole, the whole crew together for Super Bowl week. Because arguably this is one of the biggest sports week of the year. Um, because it's Super Bowl week. So Scotty, Vito, everyone's together. Uh, how was your first weekends without football? Did you watch the Pro Bowl? I don't watch a second of it. I, I did. didn't either. I watched. I watched all of it. I'm not gonna lie. Did I you was bet watching, on it. Uh, no, all no. Right, good. Which I'm actually, as you said that, I'm kind of disappointed in myself. But um, I thought I thought <laughs> did for not, sure you would have. I, I wish I would have. Uh, there are so many good moments too throughout the Pro Bowl. Just just the little stuff, but like. It's great whenever you see uh, – I, I think the most fun part about watching was them showing clips of other Pro Bowls. So, like, not only did you see Pro Bowls, you got to see, like, highlights of other ones, like when Sean yeah. Taylor – Well, the Sean Taylor is, like, yeah. Yeah, the like – Yeah, it was moment. so great. So, All-time uh, moment. <laughs> yeah. Especially um, compared to what it is now. Like, I saw some of the highlights and stuff, and oh, everyone said it's just no tack. Yeah, it's – yeah. And then Football's some not players were going that's in built for an all-star game. It's just it's, it's right. that meme of it's that meme of the old uh, or that clip of the old guy uh, who University of Kansas brought back who played on their team in like the 30s or 40s. And then like the whole it was just like at a practice and this old guy's rushing the ball and the whole team is just moving out of the <laughs> oh, way. Like, oh, fake yeah. tackling and <laughs> until he like runs the, in the yeah, end. That's the what the Pro Bowl touched, like. It's the make-a-wish touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. Not to make, not making fun of make wish, not, not at all. No, Just, no, but, you know, but we all know it, the videos we're talking about. And, and the thing is though, I think what was crazy is there's always every pro bowl. There's like two to three cool moments. One was, um, Trey, uh, uh, digs versus digs, but they swapped. Yeah. So Stefan was playing defense. It was just really fun to see that matchup. And, uh, and, and just the amount of pushing and shoving between those two was like the most physicality in the entire pro bowl. Like they were going at each other. It was so fun. And then, um, uh, it was in LA or I'm sorry, it was in Las Vegas. And yeah, um, Max Crosby had himself a game in the first half. He was like full rushing. He didn't care. He did not care. He it was full bull rushing. It was awesome to see. Like there's always a few that just go in like really hard. And he yeah. was the one this year and being in Las Vegas. I think that was, that was cool. But besides that, I heard Mark Andrews went really hard too. Well, I mean, he caught some tutties. Yeah. It was fun to see. <laughs> he some had, of he that had a couple of tutties. Yeah, but I think it just turned it almost like a passing league where it was like, you know, the lines kind of touched each other unless someone went off. And then, like, if anyone caught the ball, they weren't going to tackle them, right? They don't want a knee injury or anything. So I get the two-hand touch style, but, like, at the same time, it it wasn't. I don't think I don't think we can classify it as a football game fully. Yeah. Well, especially when the most physical contact that happened for NFL players happened uh, outside of the – Pro Bowl. Uh, yes. Alvin Kamara. <laughs> uh, anyway, Scotty. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I thought that I thought of the joke. I thought it was kind of funny pushing the line, but like, I don't know. That's good stuff. There's more physicality <laughs> uh, from Alvin Kamara than in the entire Pro Bowl. But regardless, uh, we were actually talking before the show, too. And the, the game plan oh. for the pod today, um, we are going to break down. 
the Bengals and the Rams and basically try to tell the story of their season, right? Like the way I explained it to Scotty and Vito was think about like your Super Bowl DVD or your, cha- you know, your team's championship DVD where they kind of go through the season and how this team kind of came together. So we're going to run through a little bit of that from both teams uh, to see how they got here. Cause I, it's the first time in the modern era um, and since, well, at least since they expanded the playoffs that we've had, uh, the Super Bowl with neither the one through three seeds on either side. Both of these teams were the four seeds going in. It's a unique Super Bowl. And I don't know what that means for ratings or popularity or anything, but it's going to be a really interesting game. And I'm really excited about it, even if it's not the teams we thought kind of going into it all. So I want to give both teams their due because this is, like I said, very unique. Uh, we also have some coaching news as well. Uh, Doug Peterson, since the last time we were on, got hired by Jacksonville. Uh, uh, Mike McDaniel got hired as the Miami Dolphins coach. Lovey Smith reportedly is being hired today by the Houston Texans. And then right as we were about to hop on, uh, Dennis Allen, who was the leading candidate going in, I think everyone figured that uh, the, the Saints were looking at him as the key guy there to, uh, to kind of get promoted from what he was doing. He's staying in New Orleans. So we'll go through some of that at the end of the pod uh, as well. But we were talking about this before the pod uh, and we agreed that the best way to do this and have this conversation would be to just do it on the pod. So we had a bet before the season. It was nothing like crazy, right? But it was about the Denver Broncos and Scotty and I both said that they would lose less or they would win less than double digit games. And Vito thought they were going to win a lot more. They obviously did not. So we're going to figure out what our golf trip is here or uh, at least the where are we playing? How nice is it? What's what's going to be included in the package? Is it just the round? Are you going to host us? Is this going to be like a boys' weekend thing? What are we going to do here, guys? Oh, because man. I got a beer spanning. <laughs> well, I think I think it really determines on how nice and how much it is. Is how wrong I was. So mm. um, I think we should take that into account, right? I, like I, I will say um, punishment fits the crime. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to make this fair. Um, so in my mind, like, I mean, what, what did the Broncos finish? Did we finish 10, seven, seven and seven and 10. Yeah. So, um, I already blocked that out of my mind. I'm on to 2022 baby. Let's go. Uh, but no, I, I think here's the deal. Um, there, you know, it's a three game swap there. So obviously, um, it wasn't too close. At least it was competitive down the last month, but it, it definitely, uh, when we had the surprise, you went zero um, and four in the last blowout. Month. <laughs> well, I think it was at Dallas. That I mean, it was right before then because it was like when we blew out Dallas. All of a sudden, it was like, oh shit, we got a chance here. Like that's then, when I was like, and okay. Then, and then the Eagles blew you guys out the next week. Yeah, yeah. And that was when it was like, okay, yeah, we can't take Denver. Yeah. There he is. <laughs> the yeah. shameless so, plug. There it is. Uh, what we're what we're gonna do here is is definitely go through. So I'm thinking, and and it's up to you boys. Let's talk about. It. Do we want to do? Philly or Virginia? Because you guys are Virginia natives. My parents live there. I could easily, we could do a Northern Virginia course and do some stuff like that. Um, we could also head up to Philly, do something there. We, you guys come to Cleveland. We got a spot here too. So oh. we can we can do a couple different things wow, here. Man. So I think location matters. I, I would assume that Virginia is kind of the, the safe ground of just like, we know we can make that happen pretty easily. Mm. Um, but do you guys want to get well, as exotic as as Philly or or I th- well, look, I, having played a lot of golf in both places, and I know you have as well. Depending on where we go in like Northern Virginia, 
you can find there's some epic awesome golf courses uh in the dmv area and then there's some really shitty ones at the same time mm-hmm. i would think maybe scotty a place like renditions which i believe you're familiar with renditions for anyone listening that doesn't know and we're not going to spend too much more time on this i promise but uh not a sponsor. renditions is a golf course that is all 18 holes are made up of uh famous holes from other famous golf courses right so like all of amen corner from augusta is there and they do like a really incredible job uh the island on uh from tpc sawgrass for the players championship no is on. way that hole's recreated yeah so the whole thing is recreated and it sounds gimmicky but they it's actually not like i haven't gotten a chance to play there yet but i have seen the course like it is they did an amazing job so uh, i think Maybe something like that's on the table, or maybe we uh, we road trip down to like Harrisonburg for a day, and we go there's some nice courses down there out in the mountains. Go hit up some breweries or something, or even me and Scotty's favorite Blue Ridge Shadows. There's another great course out there that we could go play. It's up in the mountains, so I think we have a good start on that. I think yeah, we're in the same book. I think Virginia DMV area is the move, or or maybe a curveball here to wrap it up would be. You guys come up to Philly. We hit Riverwinds, one of my favorites. A beautiful course on the water uh, in New Jersey. I love it. Um, and then we go off in Philly one night. But, you know, so that's a whole different adage. But, but I do think with whatever we do, one or the other, we have to have – here's my commitment to, to the boys and to the pod. Uh, I was off three games. One would be the golf. Two, I got beer covered. And three, I'll get at least uh, I'll get the the meal during golf too. Whatever we need, food wise, as we go. So I, I got the full package for being that far off. I think that's fair. Scotty, any quarrels? Scotty's eating right now. He's like, I'm gonna take this opportunity to get my dinner in. No, I have no uh, no qualms. What if instead, <clears throat> though, I'll pay for my round, uh, and you commit to going to the. Uh, to the Broncos 49ers game next season in Denver. Oh, oh you, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm in, just, I'm in just, anyway. I was going to say, he's going to do that. He, you could have just asked oh, him that. All right. Then we'll yeah. do that. You'll come into the game anyway. And you pay for my <laughs> <laughs> There we go. We'll definitely do it, man. That'd be great. What a, what a terror. Are you, I never let me hire Scotty as an agent. What a terrible yeah, I, I would have ripped you apart on that negotiation wise, but uh, I, I can't do that to my friend. But yeah, I would have taken you up on that any day. <laughs> Jeez, man, that was like like Billy King, old Sixers and Nets GM. That's a that's a deep reference for anybody out there. I was trying to think of NFL GMs that spent a lot of money and then failed miserably. GM, like maybe the Dream Team. Remember mm-hmm. Vince Young, the Dream Team. Anyway, Vince all right. Young. Well, we got a plan then. The last other, the third option I'll put, I'll, I'll add to would be New Jersey. Sure. See if we can snag the beach house. Well, boys Ooh. weekend. Ooh. I'm, thinking, I'm liking the way this is shaping up. This is just thinking about a lot it. of good options. There's, well, some, there's some great courses. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Scotty and I'll road trip. We're, we're road trip warriors. We've, we've done it in the past. We'll do it again. Uh, I love right. the warriors. So we're going to start off here now. I know you love the warriors. Uh, we're going to start off with the Cincinnati Bengals. So I know this was a long detour into the start of the actual podcast, but I'm, we took this journey together and I like it. So the Cincinnati Bengals less than two years ago, were sitting there with the number one overall pick, 
watching a kid from Ohio who had transferred to LSU lead what is arguably the greatest college football team of all time, depending on how you value that. And there's arguments to be had there. But we're talking about one of the greatest of all time in that LSU team. Shatters every passing record possible. Has pros littered around him. Kicks the shit out of Alabama. Knocks down Dabo and Clemson. And, I, I mean, they obliterated that Oklahoma team, too, with Jalen Hurts. And it's like, are the Cincinnati Bengals going to go? I saw it two ways. Is it Carson Palmer all over again? Or how much do you believe in Joe Burrow, right? That's kind of where that, that decision lies there. And there was no question he had to be the number one overall pick. No question about it. Even with Herbert and Tua there. And it blows my mind that, what, 20 months ago, the Cincinnati Bengals were the worst team in the NFL. And they lucked out on a generational talent and, and person, maybe not talent, but person in Joe Burrow. And here they are. One year. Think about this, too. Joe Burrow's basically only played a year and plus of football. Yeah, how many games does NFL. he have in? Starts. I was just looking that up. Yeah, with the injury? Yeah, I think um, I'm bringing this up here, but I, I believe I mean, well, he, he played – Played 18 this year, obviously. And then I think he got hurt in week six no. of last year. <clears throat> he didn't start. Oh, uh, you're right. So he only game, played right? 17 this year. You're right. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure he got injured in week six of last year because he only, it might have even been earlier because he only attempted 100 and, and uh, about 100 passes. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's low, right? I mean, and that's the thing. Like, think about this. He got injured, Jeff, to your point. We have the stats up here, but he had four touchdowns and two interceptions when he went down. Like he looked good, but everyone, it was the whole concern, right? Like, what are they going to do in the draft? They need to protect him. Oh, they didn't. They got chase. Can't believe that's not good for like for his career and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. then like you said, a couple months later, now they're in the Super Bowl. Um, yeah. And he had an incredible season incredible to lead his team to, to this especially that last run and we it was well noted on the pod i don't know how many passing yards he had in the last two months but it's it's a lot i don't want to run that many yards i can tell you i'd be gassed right like yeah it's it's absolutely incredible to see what he's been able to do in such a short amount of time with a team that the outside perspective was a team that couldn't win even if he was amazing like he'd have to do it all and they still wouldn't and Somehow he's found a way and the, the coaching staff and everyone has found a way to elevate not only his play, but the defense has done what they need to do as well, especially in this playoff run. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the health of the defense too. But I think part of the, how we got here, it cannot be understated that Joe Burrow's injury led to them getting in good draft position to take Jamar chase, who is yet another generational talent at wide receiver, uh, and again, everybody wrote him off in the preseason because he couldn't catch a ball. Yeah. Uh, and, and once he got in his rhythm, which was relatively quickly, uh, he was just, just off to the races and, and quickly became one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Uh, so I, I don't think that can go understated as well. It's a, Joe Burrow's done a lot for that team and that franchise, but that, that cannot go without mentioning. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and look, he's played 26 games in his career. But at the same time, when if you break it down this way, it's taken 26 games for him to turn around what has historically been one of the worst 
franchises in the history of the NFL. I mean, they're in the conversation. They're one of the – think about how long Cincinnati's been around. They've, they're one of those teams now, the, what, six remaining teams that have never won a Super Bowl? But they're right up there with the Lions. They're up there with the Vikings, these teams that have been around forever but have never won a Super Bowl. Cincinnati's right in that group. But on top of it, too, Cincinnati hasn't been really relevant since the year when they uh, they lost in the first round of the playoffs. I forget who who they who they lost to, but it was the Carson Palmer, TJ Hushmanzada. It was the Steelers. It was yeah. the, I think it was the Steelers. Yeah. But that was that like Rudy Johnson, Carson Palmer, Chad Johnson, when he was still Chad Johnson, you know, and, and TJ Hushmanzada. And those teams are so good. And the one time, I think they had like 14 wins. And I know Andy Dalton had one outlier season there too. But I just don't think it can be understated just how – terrible the Cincinnati Bengals have been and I know like I, I try not to buy into the hyperbole a lot and I, and the whole point of this whole exercise is, is to really go through and think about it from like a bigger picture like a bigger lens right other than just because it is the whole team but trying to be like level-headed about this Joe Burrow is that has done something that just doesn't make sense it's something that doesn't happen you know like Yes, we've seen Peyton turn turn around the Colts, who were historically a bad team, right? Like, we've seen that happen to bad teams when, when a significantly talented player, even a little bit with, you know, the Browns and, and Baker. But when you get that generation guy, right, that, that player, you can see it kind of turn around. Joe Burrow is carrying this team less than two years, in, you know, into his NFL career. And this is still a 10-7 and 17. But when it's not cutting time, and this is the this is the thing about this Bengals team that's the most impressive is like when it when it is nut cutting time, your back's up against the wall. They figure out ways to win football games. Like that's a skill in and of itself. And for a 10 and 17 to go on this tear, and you saw what they did obviously against Kansas City and stuff in the past, it's just wildly impressive. And obviously, like it's the whole team, but like Joe Burrow being the quintessential guy, like the the keystone of this whole this whole run is just it doesn't happen it's so no. rare to see this and like you said such a quick turnaround be the leader he clearly i think to that point has infected the whole team it's not like when a, a comparison i don't think that would be fair is comparing to the colts when they drafted andrew luck because they they had some team right peyton led them to the playoffs a bunch and then they mm-hmm. dropped off when i think three and 13 they drafted andrew luck and, and they were like, and back, all right, here we go, back on top. That's not the Bengals. That's yeah. not the situation. No, no. It's, it's a change of the franchise mentality. Um, and I think what that speaks to is, is a comment that Jeff had earlier was that this guy is a, is a Hall of Fame and a, and a once-in-a-generation type person. You can have all the talent you want or even a good leader, but to have a great person in your locker room that's himself, but is also very much the leader and takes responsibility and just has that confidence that they're going to do it when it matters, right? They're going to make the play when it matters. I've been having executed on that in the last, you know, a uh, couple of years with college. And then obviously I think this year, especially late in the year, it makes your team believe in you a lot more when that's happening, right? Like think back to your guys' playing days when you knew you had a guy who's like, Oh, well, this guy's a difference maker though. Just wait for him to get the ball in his hand. Like, we're going to be okay. Yeah. I think the whole team feels that with him and it makes the defense play a little bit different. I also, I, I, 
it can't be understated. I, I really do believe that everyone in that franchise has stepped up. But for me, my question is this to you guys. And I've been thinking about this a, for a, a couple of days now. Dan Marino was the same way. He came out, <clears throat> not the number one overall pick, could have been. Uh, I think he actually might have been the AFL or the, the um, whatever the other league was, maybe an arena. But like, anyway, he, um, they were trying to make him, the USFL was trying to USFL. make him. USFL. I was, I was blanking That's on it too. It. Yeah. Uh, but right, he ends up sliding in the draft and he goes in his second year, second year in the NFL. He takes his team to the Super Bowl, has mm-hmm. an incredible year, um, you know, never gets back. And I don't hope that on Joe Burrow, but what I'm, what I'm getting at is, do you think this is more, and this is hard to, to answer in the moment, right? Is this a flash in the pan? Hey, this team just had an incredible four runs, uh, like four or five games at the end of the year. Or do you think that we're going to see the Bengals start competing for even just AFC championships? It's a really great question. And it's one I've thought about a lot here in the last, you know, in the last week plus, you know, trying to like literally trying to process the fact that the Bengals are playing in the Super Bowl. Like it still doesn't feel real. It's a great question. And, and what I would say is the roster itself, right? Obviously, like T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, like Higgins took a big jump this year and, and Jamar Chase was a lot. And then they also have Tyler Boyd, who's a great third option. Uh, you know, they also have Uzama, who's a fantastic tight end blocking it. And Joe Mixon finally stayed healthy. It was a it was a culmination of a lot of stuff that helped make that offense what it is. But they've still also overcome a lot of injuries, you know, like all of the guys that they went out and signed in free agency other than uh, uh, Hendrickson have pretty much gotten hurt. Like Riley Reef, who's their best offensive lineman. I mean, Jonah Williams has actually played pretty well this year and it's kind of shown yeah. a little bit of that first round talent that he was. But, you know, losing Riley Reef, who's like supposed to be was supposed to be a big deal. They've just found ways to overcome it. And we always talk about, oh, it's and losing team of death losing Ogan Joby in the playoffs Ogan Joby I mean, too like, yeah yeah I mean so talk about a guy who's who's a huge difference maker for them on the defensive side of the ball especially on that d-line and they just have found ways to win so I don't it, it gives off like this is a, a a flash in the pan it gives that off more so I don't know how you feel Scotty but the reason I, I don't the reason that. I'm gonna say that it's not is that sorry? The reason I, I would say that it's not is because of Joe Burrow. Yeah, because Joe, that, Bur- that- Joe Burrow has elevated this roster to a Super Bowl level, and they still have some stuff to be able to do to help fill out their roster in the future. And I'll tell you now, in free agency and stuff, guys are going to want to play with Joe Burrow. Yeah, absolutely, you do. And and so to get this far, even even if you lose at this game, uh, you've made it this far. You know your team has has the the grit and the and the talent and all the 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 other stuff that you can't measure to get you this far and now you can go build around all that mm-hmm. stuff find your your weak spots and and fill those and like you said guys are going to want to play around Joe Burrow he's the keystone we saw this a lot in like um in the Seattle teams when they were starting to get good when mm-hmm. Russell Wilson became like the keystone of that team and people started wanting to go play with him uh, they they did really well from within, but it was just like that was that was the guy, and everybody rallied around him and wanted to play better because of him and and the way he played, and that's what made those Seattle teams great, especially on the defensive side of the ball. 
Um, and so I think there's a lot of that in, in Cincinnati too. And I think they're going to be around for in the conversation, I think for a, a good long time. Yeah. My, my concern long-term, and I agree with both of you guys, I, I think we're going to see a flash, but I think we're going to slowly see that heat build and build over the next couple of years, because I, I truly believe that you need a full team to win. It's, it takes a special player, right. To, to overcome a defense that's even mediocre. It's just the way it goes. Most Super Bowl champions that are top 10 in offense and defense. And, um, you know, Bengals defense is, is really mid-level. Um, I think they've outperformed. We saw that with, with a couple teams though, like Peyton couldn't win because right. The defense wasn't always great in Indy. They had some pass rushers. Then they got Bob Sanders and they had that credible year and they went and went. Yeah. And so like, I, I think that's what I'm looking at here is what can they do defensively in the next two years to make sure that it's not a flash in the pan. Right. But that's what, um, yeah. Like we're saying that they can, because of, of what they've done with what they've got, they can now like they're a more attractive target in free agency. They right. are, they are for sure. But I just think that like, depending on what happens here, if you win, it's super hard to keep a championship winning team together. It just really is. And then on the other side, if you lose um, either way, getting to the Super Bowl is huge, but I just, I I'll tell you guys, I just watched the four falls of October, that documentary. Yeah. About, great, great 30 for uh, 30. Great 30 for 30. But the and bills, it, the nineties bills. Yeah. Yeah. Losing four in a row and how it went through in their fans and, and, the public commentary at the time, which I don't understand till now, but I think as a Bengals fan too, it's also like, man, are we going to go and lose another one? Um, you know, and, and it's not to the same extent by any means as Buffalo, no. but I think the sentiment, but when is you're one of those like, teams that has yeah, never like won, like I, I've shared on the pod before too. Like I was such a pessimist during the entire Eagle Super Bowl run. Like it wasn't until yeah. the ball bounced and, you know, dropped onto the ground like that. I was like, Oh shit, we, we won the Super Bowl. Like, I just, that's never something that happens when you're one of those franchises, when you're a perpetual loser, you know, like that's just kind of what you grow to expect. And, and the Vikings have gone through similar things before as well, you know, and, and the Lions, unfortunately, have never really gotten that that close, which is astounding. Um, I'm going to add a couple things here as to why I'm, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate, right? I'm going to be on the pessimistic side of your question here, Vito, because... Mm-hmm. We, we one of the big things we've talked about over not just us but like collectively as football fans have talked about here in the last you know couple of weeks really uh since the Mahomes and Josh Allen game was holy shit the AFC has so many amazing young quarterbacks and as we've seen from Patrick Mahomes for as incredible as he is and in four years starting he's gone to two Super Bowls and he's gone to four AFC championship games So he's already off to a hot start. But we saw it this year. It's fucking hard to get to the Super Bowl. Like, we we pass it off so easy. Like, we we really do. We do a terrible job as as consumers of fans and everything of recognizing just how freaking difficult it is to actually get to the Super Bowl. And I look at, you know, like Kansas City this year coming up just a hair short, and then you look at all the quarterbacks, right? Like, is Herbert never going to get to an AFC championship game? Because I don't believe that. Right. No. Lamar is going to come back fully healthy. Like, do I believe Lamar is never going to get past the second round of the playoffs? I don't believe that either. And Josh Allen, you know, like the list, there's six guys. And then Mahomes and Burrow, we're talking about six guys in the AFC that are fucking sick and are like franchise quarterbacks. 
and they're all around the same age and they're all going to be here for a long time. And like the, the chiefs are in trouble. Like Kelsey's 33. There needs to be a plan. Like if, if people want to make the comparison to Brady, right. Four years in Mahomes is at that, like, all right, it's the 2005, 2006 season, 2007, 2000, you know, and it's going to continue going that way where he's going to have to evolve the team around them. The chiefs, Andy Reid, they're going to have to evolve too. And I find it hard to believe that like Joe Burrow is going to be able to consistently get there. Not because I don't believe in Joe Burrow. Cause I, I kind of want to bet on him more than anybody to do that, but rather because of just how hard it is and how the entire rosters change and you have to be able to stay consistent. And then the amount of ridiculous talent that exists. So, and, and that's the amazing thing about Joe Burrow is like I said before, like when it, when it's, it's most important, Joe Burrow is at his best and he's going to be that way in the Super Bowl because I think he gets how difficult it is to be there. And, and as of right now, just like early in the week leaning, still a lot of time to go. I'm split because my head's saying Rams and like deep down, my gut is saying you're not going to bet against Joe Burrow in this game. Yeah. And, and all of those points, I think are exactly why this is such a hard team to project forward. It, it, it really feels like a little bit of, and I, I am, Please, everyone, please understand I'm not comparing these two quarterbacks or teams, but it feels a little bit like when the Ravens made a run with Joe Flacco and it was just like, hmm. hey, team's hot. We got hot during the playoffs. We're not, you line us up in the regular season. We're not going to win the most games, but we got hot at the right time. We have this emotion. That was the end of Ray Lewis. This is like the, like the coming out of Joe Burrow in a way. It's yeah. still exciting and, and energizing and like, I think this is an awesome thing for the city. I think he's an absolute gamer and a playoff winner. But like you said, I would bet more often than not that we're going to see Mahomes and Allen in, in the AFC championships for the next few years with a couple guest spots. By, yeah, like it, like, it could uh, be any of Herbert those guys. And all these other guys. Yeah, and Lamar and, and, and obviously Burrow. But like, I think this is going to be interesting to see if he falls into the category of like, no matter how his team does, he always wins a playoff game, right? Or something like that. Or is he like, okay, he's on a good team and, and years come and go. Because there's a big difference, I think, in the way, right or wrong, people talk about quarterbacks, if they can at least go and win an, a game each each season in the playoffs and everything and, and do so, all that. So you've made a couple comps, and Scotty and I talked about this on Friday, and, and I actually really wanted to get your, your thoughts on this, was that I went through, like, the last 30 Super Bowls or so, and, like, there isn't a comp. Like, I, the closest one is probably the Dan Marino one. But even still, like his like, oh, they, where we stomped him. <laughs> yeah, but like Dan Marino wasn't even doing what Burrow has done this year. Where it's yeah. like it's not just like statistically he's lighting it up or anything. He's the emotional leader. He's he's the complete leader of that team. There is no other comp. Like it's not Big Ben because Big Ben had to get carried through. It's not Brady from Brady's first three Super Bowls because he was just another piece and and played a very limited role. You know, it's not Russell Wilson because the Bengals defense for the majority of the year was terrible. It's not like where it was the Legion of Boom. Like he has somehow galvanized this team that was like ranked in the 20s in, in defensive DVOA for most of the season and has somehow gotten them to elevate to a point where they are like legitimately a top 10 defense based off the way they've been playing since, you know, since that Chiefs game where they, you know, won 35 to 31. So is there any, like you're the historian here. So is there anything I'm missing? Because I've gone through and and burrow through for 4,600 yards this year, had two receivers well, think, over a thousand yards. He's he was statistically ridiculous. 
And yeah, despite a mediocre team, they're in the Super Bowl. It's it's insane. Well, I, and I think that's why it's fair and unfair with the Dan Marino reference. And here's why I say it's fair is because Dan Marino, I don't know if you'll remember this, but that year is the second year. He actually set the NFL record. He had 48 touchdowns. He had over 5,000 yards. Neither one of those had happened. And they, they actually stood until Brady beat him with Randy Moss and everything for 50 touchdowns in a season and everything like that stood for tw- over 20 years, which is incredible considering it was a passing stat. Right. So like mm-hmm. Dan Marino had himself the best season of his career, his second year. And so, like, that's why I hope we continue to see Burrow go up um, because we never saw Marino. I mean, Marino crushed it. Did that the year. Dolphins have a good defense that year? So they did. Here's the difference. And this is why it isn't a fair comparison to compare the Bengals to him because they also had Don Shula. They had a legendary coach yeah. who had already won Super Bowls and they well, were already a good team. And so it's just really hard to compare the two. Yeah, of and like, the Bengals have State Farm yeah. agent Zach Taylor. <laughs> but, dude, you cannot. And this is this is another point that I wanted to bring up was that what the job that Zach Taylor has done for the for the how they got here, the job that Zach Taylor has done in two years to turn this nothing franchise into a into a really good football team, let alone one that can get to the to the Super Bowl in two years, just an absolute brilliant job by him and his staff to to get the trust from the the franchise and and the players and the buy-in and also he's a really good coach like he's a really good football coach like so okay but here's the thing with with zach taylor and i I, i'm glad you brought it up scotty because you're right he deserves a shitload of credit right we're in a time now where it really looked like doug peterson was not going to get hired he didn't interview last year after he got fired by the eagles and this is his first year out. And I'm like, this dude won the Super Bowl four years ago. And he's seriously not going to get a head coaching job. Now, ultimately, he did. But it did get me thinking about Zach Taylor, which is that I don't know if it's because Brady left New England to go and, and in his first year away from New England wins a Super Bowl. Or that, you know, when we think about the NBA, head coaching is elite. And I think just naturally, like subconsciously, like we've started to undervalue coaches as a whole. And he does deserve a lot of credit. Oh, yeah. But the Brady versus Belichick debate happened for years. And then after he left, it got like expedited, right? Every single ESPN show, Fox show, everyone was debating that every podcast. And even some were doing it ironically because it's like, oh, that's the classic sports media thing. But it does feel... Like if, if Joe Burrow goes and wins this Super Bowl, Joe Burrow is getting way more credit than Zach Taylor. Like Zach Taylor's an afterthought. And I don't know if it's because he is kind of generic looking and, and obviously I'm just tongue in cheek because he has done a good job. Or if it's like, this is the way we think about it now, or is just Joe Burrow that good? I see personally from my standpoint. So, so for those of you who don't know, like Zach Taylor's background, he was the quarterback's coach for the Rams Mm-hmm. when they went to a super bowl so he he basically was the one who got jared goff in sean mcveigh's offense and everything else to play and get to a super bowl um, which is a which, skill in itself i mean but I mean, it was also it was mcveigh and matt lafleur as well yeah in the first couple of years in los angeles then lafleur went to tennessee and was the offensive coordinator there but yes mm-hmm. and so he was yeah he was the quarterback's coaching and, and and what i'm thinking is that he should without a doubt share in the success that Joe Burrow has and, and scheming his entire team around this young talented quarterback 
But at the same time, we gave him so much trash when he got injured. And again, in the draft, they didn't take, uh, uh, you know, I think Slater was still there. I forget the lineman who was still. It was Penny Sewell. Penny Sewell was still there. And it was like, what what are you guys doing? Um, I'm just glad that he went with his gut. And I'm glad it worked out for him. Because if Burrow gets injured again, I mean, people are calling for his head in Cincy, right? And now they're in a Super Bowl. So in my opinion, like that range is so great. Um, Whenever you have a team outperform, which I I think everyone, even Bengals fans would say this is outperforming uh, their expectations or just what they thought they could do. It it really comes down to everybody in the mindset and the culture. So credit to the head coach, credit to the star quarterback. At the end of the day, um, I do believe he's a good coach. And to get a team to play this well, even on one run, I mean, just to get to a Super Bowl so damn hard, like you said, just, I don't know what else to say besides credit to Cincy. And I really, I just, I really hope we get to see a good Joe Burrow on Sunday. Like if we see his worst performance in like the last eight weeks, we'd all just be so let down, right? Like we need to see a good offensive performance from this team. Um, And and like you said, I think we'll, I think we'll see that. I it's hard to bet against it right now. Right. And Again, we, we talked about this the last two pods, but it's still worth bringing up. Like Joe Burrow's never lost a meaningful football game from, from the time he start, he became his senior year at, at LSU started until now the last three years, he has never lost a meaningful football game that, you know, in, in terms of like playoffs, you know, everything it's, it's ridiculous. He won the Heisman wins a national championship and could potentially win a Super Bowl on Sunday. The run is absurd, but you did hit on something there that I thought was a fantastic point in the variance of what could have happened, right? Because, yeah, if Burrow gets hurt this year, tears his other, tears an Achilles, other ACL or something, and again, he was the most sacked quarterback in the NFL, they would absolutely be calling for people's heads. The GM, everybody. But they took the risk, and this is the thing about Joe Burrow, too. Like, Joe Burrow was quoted as being the smartest man, like, by Coach O, the smartest person in the LSU offensive room. Smarter than Ensminger, smarter than Joe Brady. He and that's Coach O saying that, right? The NFL game isn't all that. I mean, it's obviously different in a lot of ways, but schematically, it's probably not that much different. A lot of former NFL players say it all the time. Like NFL coaches suck at coaching. Like they don't coach you up to do things. They might be smart, you know, schematically. They might have certain things. But like I've talked to guys behind the scenes, like, oh yeah, this like my quarterback's coach had no idea what he was fucking talking about. Yeah, there's and, a great there's a great part of that with uh, there's the interview with Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, and I love it's on HBO. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. But one of my favorite thing, yeah, is when Nick Saban says all these guys with computers might know how to you know do this analytics and like figure out stuff, but they can't teach a quarterback how to take a snap from under center. Yeah, and that's what they're worried a lot of coaches will be. And and to your point, I think that's happening a lot. Yeah, and college again, college is a developmental game. Like you have to to coach up guys. Once you're in the NFL, it's expected that, you know, stuff, but there's egos and other things that, that are at the door you know, when we're talking about these rooms and where stuff happens. And, and the reason I brought it up to begin with is just that Joe Burrow is probably one of the smartest, if not the smartest guy in his own offensive room right now, which is super unique. And a lot of it has to do with where we've gone and how youth football starts so much differently and, and, and passing games being introduced in elementary school and middle school, let alone like Tom Brady, who was running wishbone offense in high school, you know, in the 1990s. So 
Burrow has such an advanced intellect, and I really do believe that he is as as influential. And I would never have, I never thought I would say this, that that a quarterback could be more influential to the entire team because of his leadership and because what he can do on the field than a head coach. But it does kind of feel that way. And if they win, it's going to be holy shit, Joe Burrow did this, not holy shit, Zach Taylor did this. And it's just a really interesting change from what we've seen in football. We've never seen a team win a Super Bowl where you go, oh, the quarterback did that. Because even the greatest of all time, we had that debate constantly. And it wasn't until he went off and won it on his own in, in Tampa Bay that all of a sudden our brains switched and we started thinking. Yeah, even the previous GOAT, Joe Montana, it was mm-hmm. like, oh, like. Well, he played in Bill Walsh's offense, and it's Bill Walsh's you know, offense, West Coast yeah. offense. It's it's yeah. revolutionary, which it was. But Joe yeah. Montana was also incredible. And it's funny because if you flip it right, if the Rams win the Super Bowl, you're you're saying Sean McVay's name first. You're not. You're, you're probably not saying Stafford I, first, right? I, you're saying I, I Stafford honestly, yes. good for Stafford, but you're giving the credit to McVay for building the team and because McVay already has the built-in credit of. I went with Jet with Jared Goff, yeah. <laughs> you know, like Mc, like McVay. Like I turned Jared Goff into like a multi-time Pro Bowler and like leading the league in passing quality type of quarterback. But I will say that's a double-edged sword because you could just as easily say, well, yeah, and you put up three points in that Super Bowl with Jared Goff mm-hmm. against the Patriots, and you had to go out and, and trade assets to go get Matt Stafford. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 that is an interesting point, but you know, like you said, to to the to the degree that uh, to the degree that Zach uh, Zach Wilson will not get the same credit as uh, as Burrow, then Zach Taylor, Zach Taylor, sorry, yeah, uh, will not get the same credit as uh, as Burrow is is one hundred percent spot on. So. Yeah, I was gonna say Zach Wilson better not get the credit as Burrow because they're two different yeah, quarterbacks, two of the different Jets. wavelengths. Yeah. How did he make it there? <laughs> now, this is also another thing to think about here, guys. Too, like just contextualize to contextualize what Burrow's done in the last calendar year, like from where we were this year with Joe Burrow torn ACL out to where we are now, and, and the Bengals picking, you know, what fifth overall when they took Chase. I think they were they were drafting. Think about if the Jacksonville Jaguars next year with Trevor Lawrence, make the Super Bowl. If Trevor Lawrence somehow were to lead the Jacksonville Jaguars to a Super Bowl in his second year, that's what we're talking about here. That's how much of a dumpster fire Cincinnati was after Joe Burrow got hurt and before then to now we're talking about the Bengals in the fucking Super Bowl. And and the only other devil's advocate argument I want to bring up here, and we can wrap up and, and, and switch over to the Rams here shortly, but the only other thing I want to bring up is they also did have some luck along the way. Right. Like they earned their right to play Tennessee by beating Kansas City in week 17. So I'm not taking this away from from them necessarily, but getting Tennessee in round one or in in round two was extremely helpful. Avoiding uh, Buffalo was extremely helpful. Right. Because I don't know if if I don't know if the Bills or if Cincinnati beats Buffalo the way that Buffalo is playing. Right. I don't think they would have had an answer. For Josh Allen, I think that's a tougher matchup for them than going up against Mahomes, who they knew they would be able to get pressure on. And there was enough that they could do because it's not a 250-pound freight train running at you like it is with Josh Allen that they were able to get by that. They also played Las Vegas, right? And because the Las Vegas and Chargers game went the way it was, it wasn't Justin Herbert versus 
Joe Burrow. It was Derek Carr and Vic Fan- and, and not Vic Fangio and and Rich Bisaccia against Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor. Same thing. So they only uh, yes, and I, again, not taking anything away from it, they earned the right to have that schedule based off of beating Kansas City, and it, it made a huge yeah. huge difference. But that that happens in every every sport, Jeff. That's not just in in the NFL. For the sure, ball bounces no, it, right to get to the playoffs. Yeah, it's not. But it also goes into what we were saying earlier about how good the AFC is going to be moving forward and how few opportunities yeah. you have, because just as easily next year they could have a road where they have to beat the chargers and then the bills and then, you know, the chiefs to make it to the super bowl. And you'd have to play Justin Herbert, Josh Allen and, and Patrick Mahomes in consecutive weeks. And that's a lot more difficult than Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill, and then Patrick Mahomes. And it, it just goes to how fragile it is. And the crazy thing is, even though it's only his second year and his first full season in the NFL, Joe Burrow gets that. And it's not to take away from Jamar or T Higgins or any of the other guys or like Mike Hilton, who's become was graded out since like week eight as the number two cornerback in all of football. And, and obviously Trey Hendrickson was top five in sacks too, but it just, it goes to show like the difference somebody who is special as a person and a quarterback can make. Cause he's not as talented naturally as Trevor Lawrence is at throwing football, but he has something special about him that just, gets him into these games and Mahomes is a little bit of it, but Joe Burrow's just at another level because at least it's perceived to be at another level because we saw him do it at college. And now we're seeing him do it directly in the NFL in his second season in a way that we just really haven't seen anybody do before. And I think, I think that's unbelievable. And Zach Taylor deserves credit. The defense deserves credit because they've been a really good defense here in the last five, six weeks, but it, it's Joe Burrow. Like that, that is the story of this team. And also some luck too. Like Joe Mixon finally staying healthy. Like that's massive. Like Joe Mixon was the second leading rusher in the NFL this season. Or I think, yeah, yeah. I think he finished second, or at least he was in the top three. Like that's, that's absurd. In a year where every good running back got hurt too. Right. Alexander Madison or not Alexander, Dalvin cook, Zeke, um, you know, all these guys. So <laughs> yeah. And Derek Henry, obviously Saquon. being, yeah. being, being the big one, Saquon, uh, Christian McCaffrey again and it's like oh yeah Joe Mixon stays healthy finally you know first time we have and dude's an absolute monster so a lot of team of destiny destiny vibes and they also have a fucking baller of a kicker who apparently is the number two jersey seller for them right now that's awesome like the Bengals so store sick. is sold out of Evan McPherson jerseys I hope he kicks to a game-winning field goal I really do me too to win the Super Bowl for the Bengals. <laughs> my my first bold prediction of Super Bowl week is that this will go down as a very memorable Super Bowl. Because hmm. even if it's Stafford, okay. Stafford first year away from Detroit, winning at the Rams in SoFi, like all that like is an absolute story. And then if, if the Bengals win, I think it's one of the most like memorable seasons we've ever had. Not not best, but most memorable. This team lost to the Jets and the Browns in back-to-back weeks. They lost to the Bears in week two. Yet here they stand. (laughs) And here they are in the fucking Super Bowl. So, I don't know. All I know is talking about all the AFC quarterbacks got me fucking jacked up. for. Like, it's sad, obviously, like, in the end of Tom Brady phase, it's gotten through the news cycle. We're past it. And now I'm like, yeah, but, like, the future of the NFL is sick mm-hmm. and the NFC is wide open, which is just as exciting. So we'll see. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. 
come back, hit the Rams, the other side of the Super Bowl, uh, and, and tell their story as we're already into Super Bowl week and uh, staring down seven months with no football. So <laughs> pray for the boys. We'll be back in a sec. The Los Angeles Rams, second Super yeah. Bowl in four years? Four years, two and four? Been Think about this. Sean McVay's been the same number of Super Bowls as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes over the last four years. Mm. And wow. either go, Joe go. Burrow or Matt, Matt Stafford is going to have the same number of rings as Aaron Rodgers and one more than Dan Marino. And the same number as Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. It's, okay. it, it's, I'm just, <laughs> I, no, I mean, it's a great point. I'm just adding on to it. So it's, it's, it shows again the fickle nature of this, right? Yeah. Where it's like things broke right for the Rams, like San Francisco beating Green Bay is huge. Um, and then, you know, they had the big win that had knock off Tampa Bay to get there. But even though they had kind of that off year in between, you know, when they moved on from golf, like if you have the right coach and you have a good GM and you have the right organization around you, you can find your way back in the Super Bowl. Um, the Rams at the start of the season, if we can go back even to the offseason, we can go back mm-hmm. even multiple offseasons ago. The Rams have gone all in consistently for th- four years now which is a very weird thing to say, uh, just objectively, right? Because that's not supposed to be how you do it. And the Rams have done an unbelievable job of being fiercely themselves, right? I don't know exactly how it went, but I can imagine a documentary or an interview or something that comes out years down the line with Sean McVay, where he talks about when he stepped in and him and Les Snead, you know, kind of took over there, Les Snead, the GM. And they said, this is what we're doing. We're going to rethink the way. It's almost like a, like the social network, right, with, with Mark Zuckerberg in that movie, right, where they come in and it's got this big dramatic scene kind of played out here. But they go, we're going to revolutionize the way. It's like we can bet that at number 29 or at 27 or at 28 or 31, wherever they are in the draft, we can take a gamble – that with that first round pick, we're going to be able to find a, a young player who is going to help make us successful for, you know, for a long time, but we're going to have to kind of develop him and bring him up to speed. Or we can trade all of those for Vaughn Miller right now, for Jalen Ramsey right now, for Odell Beckham Jr. right now. And long-term, I don't know how it's going to work. But if you are consistently going to finish at that part of the first round, there are, I, I'm sure there are analytic numbers out there that prove that the production you're going to get from there versus what you're going to be able to get from Vaughn Miller, from Jalen Ramsey, from these star players to come in and help you win right away is going to be more beneficial. And you have a limited number of those assets, and yet they've you know, kind of spread it out to a point now where the Rams are just loaded with talent guys who maybe are a little bit past their prime or maybe have been in weird situations or, or non-winning situations. Yeah. They got vetoes, dude. Yeah, right? Von Miller. And I mean, that's exhibit A. <laughs> Von Miller's been unbelievable for them. I mean, the Jalen Ramsey trade. Like, th- there's no argument to say that doesn't work. You know, letting go of, of Todd Gurley, right? After Todd well, Gurley was a borderline MVP the year that they yeah. went to the Super Bowl, and, and here they are four years later. And when he broke, yeah. <laughs> And, yeah, and, and then the, point the Ramsey is just, thing, like just letting Ramsey do his thing too. Like, yeah, 
just like letting him be a playmaker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just letting him go out and just be a playmaker. And the, the point of all this is to say that it feels a little bit like the process or any of these times where you have like a monumental shift in how we think traditionally in a sport, someone who challenges in the out from an outside perspective and it works Moneyball esque right? It's worth talking about because we've criticized the Ram, the Rams we've, we've criticized uh, Sean McVay, you know, when they beat Arizona or sorry, when they beat Tampa Bay in week three by like 10, they won 34 to 24, but like that game was nowhere near that close. A lot of people said like, oh, that's like the, you know, the first month Super Bowl. Like, congrats, you won the week three Super Bowl. And yet here they are in the actual Super Bowl at the end of the day because they just stayed aggressive. And again, long term, I don't know how that works out. The Oakland A's still haven't won a championship. The Sixers don't look like they're winning a championship unless they go out and make another big deal. So sometimes these challenging thought processes in front offices don't always work. But here we are, second time in four years, the L.A. Rams are playing for a Super Bowl. And even so, they were only one score away from, from beating Tom Brady and, and Bill Belichick in a Super Bowl. They just, you know, with Jared Goff, they couldn't do it. And this is as good of an opportunity as they've ever had when you think about talent, right? And, and how hard it is to kind of get there. But this idea of we're just going to not value first-round picks at the same level that everybody else in the NFL does – and instead, we're going to go out and get proven commodities that are going to keep us a consistent winner. And we're going to do it strategically to kind of set us up for the long run, too. I mean, Andrew Whitworth is 40. I don't think he's playing. So you're going to have a whole left tackle in the future. But it's a fascinating case study in how teams are created. And maybe there's a chance this becomes a trend in the NFL and more teams try to do it. As they always say, it's a copycat league, right? So I don't know. Am I off base? I, to me, it, it just seems fascinating. And, and it's hard to argue with the results. It, it's so – I'm glad you brought this up, Jeff, because I think when you zoom out – I was thinking about the Rams specifically a lot in their buildup. So they moved to L.A. in 2016, and they draft Goff. They, hey, we're going to draft this quarterback, the number one pick. We, we want, we're building a stadium here. But in the meantime, like, hey, you know, we're, we're here to stay. And they get a little buzz, but McVeigh's not there yet. McVeigh comes in 2017. He shows up in 2017 and they start making these pushes. Like you said, like um, last GM and everyone was really pushing like, okay, we're making roster moves to get better. Um, I can't remember if Jeff Fisher was there before, if he moved. He, with them he or... was there. Yeah. He was there for one year. Yeah. So he held over and, and they came in and said, all right, we gotta, we gotta change this up a lot. Um, yeah. So, from going eight and eight. <laughs> well, they were they were four and twelve and sixteen, right? Yeah. And then yeah, twenty seventeen, they go eleven and five. They were, they won their division. Twenty eighteen won the division, lost in the Super Bowl, um, and a lot changed in their team in the, those couple of years, right? A lot did. I mean, at that point, Cup is on the team, Woods is and there, Donald. They, yeah, they have some of the cornerstones, and since that twenty eighteen loss. Two years into McVay's career, right? He gets that loss. And in another two years or three years after that, right? Like we we're, we're here. And in those last three years, I think there's a dramatic difference. Like what you're saying, Jeff, they were aggressive at first anyway, but I've never seen a team say, let's win now and set up the team before they get their quarterback. Right. Usually it's like, Oh, we have a quarterback. We it's, he's running out. Let's, let's win now. 
Um, a lot of teams do that, but very few teams say, let's build a team and then we'll go get Stafford in free agency to upgrade our quarterback position and do this. So I'm, I'm more wondering like from McVay's and less and, and what's Les's last name, Les Sneed. Is that it? Les Sneed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when Les Sneed was looking at this, I'm wondering if they saw like, there was a lot of talent out there right now. Quarterbacks are going to open up for free agency and here are like two to three we like, and it could have even been like Watson or any, I don't know, you know, right. There's a whole slew of people that they could have been like, we're going to go after one of these big time quarterbacks. But I think Stafford is the best of both worlds where he's not the most expensive guy in the world, but he has the experience and has the arm strength and the knowledge. But the rest of the team was absolutely on its way there. And then throughout the year, they just refined it and threw in more picks to get talent now. And it is an interesting point because when you, when people talk about the draft, when it comes up and you'll hear this all, all throughout uh, the rest of the year until the end of April, when the draft occurs, you'll hear so many commentators say, it's a 50-50 split at the top of the first round if quarterback's going to work out, right? There's a there's well, a 50-50 Probably less there. than. Well, that's that's the stat of like first rounders. 50-50 turn into like full-time starters like over years and years and years. Yeah. And it goes down from that. And so when you think about it, it's it's you're right. They're playing with the odds saying, yes, we could get some young guys and lock them in at low rates and it could help the team. Or we could get guys we know can perform, help out right now, and know they're going to be good for four years. Yes, we have to pay them more, right? Because they have a real NFL contract instead of a rookie one. But if the team has money and they're willing to do that, yeah. And the GM is is bought in. I mean, that's a strategy that I'm with you, Jeff. We haven't seen this before. When's their next pick? Like 2023 or four? I think their next first round pick is 2024. Is four. It, You're right. Yeah, 24. Yeah, yeah. crazy. <laughs> like what? What are we talking? This team is going to so, pick for another couple of years. It's and and to sell it all on a dream that wasn't even there. Not like Peyton Manning saying, Hey, I want to win one at the end of my career. This is Sean McVay saying, I know I'm only 30 something years old and I know I have a young quarterback, but we could win a Super Bowl right now. You know, like mm-hmm. we could yeah. do it. And it's crazy well, I, that and, and I the think, confidence of everyone, you know, I think there's a bubble right now that's happening. And, and this is a, a, probably a bigger conversation in terms of like the future. Cause the NBA and arguably and baseball as well, we're like way ahead of the curtain front office analytics. And the NFL has resisted that, right? There's been more Dave Gettleman types in GM roles than what we see now, right? Like the guy who's running uh, the Cleveland Browns is, is a Harvard guy. He's an analytics guy. He's, you know, people have called him like the Daryl Morey of the NFL. Uh, the guy who just got hired to be the uh, the Vikings GM is was an assistant in um, Cleveland and is very much cut from the same cloth. And what, what I find fascinating is just if the NFL is going to start migrating to this way, and is this the way to do it, where this bubble, as I alluded to earlier, of quarterback contracts, all right? Patrick Mahomes got the fucking, you know, Brinks truck backed up. 400 plus million, $450 million deal. It's 10 years or however, I think it's 10 years, but it's double digit years. It's a long ass contract. You, you lock them up forever. Well, nobody's topping that. Right. Like if Joe Burrow wins a Super Bowl, maybe. Right. Or at least it's in that same kind of ballpark, yeah. which I don't. I yeah. mean, the Bengals front office or the Bengals ownership is notorious for not paying people either. But no one's getting on top of that. Josh Allen already got signed to his extension last summer. So we know the ballpark we're, we're sitting in. And there's going to be more teams that's, you know, sign Kirk Cousins or sign Ryan Tannehill to like big contracts who then immediately regret it which then means they become tradable assets eventually. 
And, and what I also think is that we're going to have a bit of a role like this, this middle class is going to start to exist for quarterbacks. Like, what would you pay Baker? Like there's a team that's going to give Baker a three-year deal. That's like 85, $95 million. And you're going to pay him like pretty good money, but it's again, it's going to be in this middle ground, kind of like where Matthew Stafford was. So Mm -hmm. instead of doing it, like the Rams are like, look, we had the young quarterback. We built him up. It took a long time. It took a lot of assets and we missed our opportunity because he wasn't ready in the biggest moments. Why don't we just, instead of spending three years developing some young rookie quarterback, you know, up into a guy who could win a Super Bowl. Why don't we just use the assets we would use to like they did that they spent all those assets to move up and draft Jared Goff number one overall anyway? Why don't we take those assets and put them towards finding a good veteran quarterback? Because as we've already said in this pod, there are so many good young quarterbacks. There's never been as much good quarterback talent in the NFL than we have right now. And the guys who come in year after year are just more prepared and more ready. I don't know who's going to be good in this year's rookie class, but I promise you there's going to be multiple guys who end up being like quality starters. And so if you can find those edge guys, right? Stafford elite, not really elite, but he's still a top 10 quarterback and has been his whole career. And you can get that guy, bring him into your system and put the pieces around him to take him to that next level. I think it's just brilliant front office work. And the more I think about it, the way that this Rams team has gone from what you said, there are there are three stalwarts on this team that were on that championship team four years ago. Cooper Cup, who was in his either rookie or his second year, Andrew Whitworth, and uh, uh, Aaron Donald. And now it's... Who's in his rookie year. Who was in his rookie year, right? And, and well, no, yeah, no, Aaron Donald, when they no, won that Super Bowl, was, was already in the league. Um, Cause he played with yeah. like Chris long back and he's been, he's older than you, you think. Cause he kind of just came out of nowhere. And all of a sudden it was like, Holy shit, this dude's the greatest defensive player in the NFL. Um, but like, and then like Jalen Ramsey came in on that team too. And other than that, like there, there's four guys, that's it. Those are the only guys who are on that former team, at least like star guys. And yet they've changed quarterbacks, running backs. You know, Robert Woods was on that team too, but he's not going to be in this game. It's right. just, it's just really um, it's really impressive to just have this consistently yeah. aggressive mentality. It really reminds me of when the Broncos went and got our asses kicked. And I think I said this a couple weeks ago on the pod. And then two years later came back and the team was completely different. Mm-hmm. Like we, the, our identity was different. Everything was different. And, and given this team has a similar identity, I would think. Um, and we, we actually had different coaches, which is why we had such different identities, but to yeah. have the same coach, go to to both of these um it's just it it says something about his ability to to be that young develop the expectations put out what people need to do get them done like to manage something like an nfl team and call plays and and work with the offense and develop the talent for how young he is i mean i know it's been said it was said two three years ago when he was in the in the super bowl but it's still i mean he's still a young dude and just more power to him he seems to be doing an incredible job yeah, that's one of my big points about the how we got here is how Sean McVay and well, I, the whole franchise has been able to keep the cohesion throughout that entire process from winning the Super Bowl. They've gone through three defensive coordinators since they won that Super Bowl. They had Wade Phillips then. They they had Brandon Staley, who's now a head coach, now Raheem Morris. Oh, Kevin O'Connell came yeah. in. Yeah, Kevin O'Connell came in two years ago. Um, uh, 
I mean, think who and, else am I? Zach, Zach Taylor was on that. Zach staff Taylor was on that staff gone. as a QB coach. Yeah, he's got. Yeah, so like to be able to keep that cohesion and that identity, Matt LaFleur and have everybody buy in. There, yeah, yeah, it's that's that's a credit to to McVeigh and, and and the franchise for buying into him. And and it then also makes it goes back to what we were talking about before, right? Do we do we celebrate McVeigh in the same way that we celebrate Zach Taylor? If if either one wins, like if Zach Taylor wins, are we celebrating them the same way as McVeigh? The answer is no, we're not. We're giving way more credit to McVeigh because we've also decided that the the problem that was holding the Rams back was Jared Goff. It wasn't Sean McVeigh. The system was fine. He is the young, brilliant coach. He's literally become like Kleenex. Like you know how like Kleenex, it, it's tissue paper, but the brand Kleenex is what it is now. McVeigh is that for young off a young offensive minded coaches in the NFL, right? You're looking for a McVeigh type. When Shanahan Zach, is the uh, the knockoff. <laughs> yeah, and Shan and Sh- I mean Shanahan McVeigh, they're both kind of in there, but because we saw McVeigh take them to the Super Bowl and it, in his second year, and remember too, like that 2017 team was the the game where Carson Wentz got tore his ACL was against the Rams at the Coliseum, and like that Rams team was fucking good in that first year. Like that was the hardest game the Eagles played that entire regular season. And they, and they ended up, you know, obviously losing like Carson Wentz and everything too, but like that Rams team was really good. He has become a, a prototype and to be only four years into his coach or five years into his coaching career. And he's already done that. Like he just gets that benefit of the doubt because again, we've all blamed Jared Goff. It was Jared Goff was the problem. It wasn't the offense, but the offense now is a little bit different. And Cooper cup, as good as he was, was not Cooper Cup with with Jared Goff. He's you know, elite, like man. he was He's he was elite. good. And part of that too might be Jared Goff just missing him on stuff, and and that's the advantage of getting a veteran quarterback. But I love what you said, Vito, about the comparison to the Broncos because it is very similar, and it was also built in a similar way where it's like, hey, we're going to go out and get Peyton Manning, an aging Peyton Manning. Which I don't know if aging Peyton Manning is still the same thing as Matthew Stafford. I don't think they are personally. I think they're probably different. But I also think that's mm-hmm. part of the genius that existed in the Rams, which is like, we can get him. We're going to have to give up a first round pick and we're going to pay a salary, but they already extended golf. So it's not going to tell you yeah. from a cap space <laughs> perspective. And you've already spent that money anyway. Kid. Yeah. Right. It's so you might, you're trading. So yeah, might as well do that. Give up the first round pick. And now all of a sudden you got Matt Stafford, which is a significant upgrade, but you're also not, you know, I, Peyton was a free agent. So that helped, but whatever they would have had to pay Indianapolis for Peyton, if Peyton was like, still healthy and the Colts just had been on a down tear and they found a way to make it more economical basically for them and, and credit to them because it, there is a difference. Now the question for them in the Super Bowl is going to be what version of Stafford do we get? Cause I feel confident that I know what I'm seeing out of Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford. Like it's crazy to think that if Cooper cup, if one guy in the bucks doesn't blow that coverage, like Tampa Bay could be playing right now. Tom Brady could have never retired and Tom Brady could be yeah. playing still getting ready to watch him play in a Super Bowl. And we'd be talking about Matt Stafford choke artist, Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay choke artists. But one guy misses the coverage there on that play and he hits Cooper cup for the, the huge, you know, the huge play. And then all of a sudden it goes down, they kick a field goal and they're moving on the playoffs. Isn't but it crazy? It, it's again, it goes back to the, fr- the fragile nature of the NFL as it is and how, some games really do come down to not just some games, 
entire careers and the the mindset of how we think about teams changes based off of one or two plays fair or unfair right because we always try to say there's more that we don't know right when we criticize play calling it's like there's so much as fans we just don't know and when a team loses we're the first ones to blame oh well you know, this player had a penalty on a crucial part, right? D Ford was offsides. Well, <laughs> people think of that as the D Ford game. And that's not fair because that game could have been won or lost in so many different ways. And yet things broke right for the Rams this year and they're back. And Matt Stafford could be a Super Bowl hero, or he could be the version that was the second half against Tampa Bay or the second half against the Niners in week 18. And they may end up not even really being contested in this game i don't know like well, I, you, this is, this you've contended so that all year jeff is like you don't know which stafford you're going to get and and a lot of the time when you pick that's what you pick based off of and it's like mm-hmm. you know if you get the really good stafford you're going to have a great game if you get the really bad stafford the team goes with it so yeah uh, but i i do think like in stafford's <laughs> defense i mean the guy was he put up multiple 5,000 yard season or 4,000 yard for sure. At least one 5,000 yard season. And he had Calvin Johnson. Don't get me wrong. is probably the best receiver that played it down in the 2010s. Um, in my opinion, yeah. but um, so he he's been there. He's thrown a lot like to elite talent. I think what he's been able to bring with almost help Cooper cup along has been really helpful. But the thing I actually, I started thinking about when you guys were talking, I can't wrap my brain around i was trying to look it up this is i think the first time a quarterback has been traded to a team and he goes to the super bowl that first hmm. year like we've had free agents yeah right? we've had tom brady um but but to, for a team to actively yeah well no we didn't go this first year but like to grab someone in their first year they go is pretty incredible because you think we always talk about it well it's his first year in the system and all of this stuff right Mm-hmm. But to have a guy who comes in his first year and take his team to a Super Bowl, I mean, I mean, this was always the plan. I'm sure this is what McVay sold Stafford on. But I- I'm just so happy for them, those two guys, that like this relationship and this risk of moving away and doing like this whole new change for both of them that it really worked out. Like we like very comparable to Zach Taylor, and we said this risk of taking Jamar Chase and the the offside could have been horrible and it worked out i mean imagine if the rams do lose like not even against tampa we could be sitting here saying and 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 if they made it that far i think it's a little different but if they lose earlier on the playoffs it easily could have been like well it's his first year in the system but man they gave up their way their whole future for this like was that really worth it and like i'm just glad that we don't have to second guess mcveigh because i believe in him as a coach and i love I love this move for when it happens. So I'm glad it's one of it's, it's not one that I have to regret being gung ho about. <laughs> Just hate that. It's dumb LA. Uh, the other one is uh, the other big thing. I think that we haven't hit on. We touched on it. Well, hold, hold, hold that. Cause I got one last, <laughs> one last thing here about Stafford and then, and then we'll get into that. Cause I have some other things I want to bring up here too. Sure. We talked <laughs> about when staff, when the Stafford trade happened, that, Oh my God, everybody's talking. The Rams are Super Bowl favorites. They're going to go to the Super Bowl. And, and even though we all thought it would be good, and I think we're all on the same page, we were also realistic in saying that, like, all right, let's slow down here. All right. To say that they're automatically the Super Bowl favorite is a bit of an overreaction. And there was a lot of that kind of pushback from, from certain people in the media because a lot of the media was also like, oh my God, the Rams, blah, 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 they're going to be the greatest yeah. team ever. 
and a lot of people kind of pushed back and said, well, let's see like that. What we're saying here is really fucking hard. Again, going back to how terrible the job we do about undervaluing how hard it is to win a Super Bowl. And I think the fact that they actually did it, you're dead on Vito. Like it deserves to be celebrated. It's been an unbelievable run for them. And at a lot of times this year, they were up and down. They lost three straight to Tennessee, San Francisco and Green Bay. Right. Um, but other than that, they kind of just took care of business. Some were closer than others, but that's also the nature of the NFL. And a lot of their bad games, like in the big spots, Stafford didn't look great. Um, but when it's mattered this year so far, he's he's been he's been fantastic. Uh, Scotty, go of ahead course. and take it over against the against the Niners. Naturally, uh, so the other we touched on it uh, at the beginning, but like guys that they brought in, uh, but you know things that we we talked about on the defensive side of the ball. How about Odell Beckham Jr. Mm. that ad this year i just especially in the in the postseason has been unbelievable like his target rate has gone up five percent from what it was in in weeks 10 through 18 uh and his his open this is the stat that that drives me nuts as a niners fan because we saw it exploited in that entire game in the nfc championship the uh, percentage of odell beckham jr being an open target is 61% of the routes he runs. 61% to 35% weeks 10 through 18 since he got traded to the Rams. 61% in the postseason he's been open. And that's huge because now you have to, and we'll dive into some of the X's and O's obviously on on Friday's pod, but like now you have to cover, find a way to cover him and not let Cooper Cup get open and not let Tyler Higbee get open. And respect the run game, right? So that's that's the hard part of the the Rams offense, and that's a credit to to Odell Beckham Jr. coming in and fitting in and, and being the the guy to fill the role that they needed at that well, time, especially with Robert Woods coming in. It's another it's another reason why Sean McVay should be celebrated if they win, because yes, Odell deserves a lot of credit, especially with the way that you know he gets kind of treated and talked about in the media. But McVay also de- deserves a lot of credit for working with him and changing their offense to do things that are going to help him get open. Cause what Odell's been doing is not just carbon copy of what Robert Woods was doing, right? Yeah. Like the offense does operate differently, right? The, when you watch them, Cooper cup and Van Jefferson move in motion a lot and they'll do it with Odell occasionally, but primarily it's with the other two guys where it's like Robert Woods was the motion guy because Cooper cup can do anything as a wide receiver. He can block, he can run the ball. You can use him on jet sweeps. You can use him as a, you know, possession receiver, deep threat, everything. That's why he's so fucking good. But Robert Woods was really, really good in that role at, at whatever it is in their offense where he's, you know, running, motioning before snap, and it was a really good spot for him. They've just basically said, all right, well, Cooper Cup, you're going to do what Robert Woods is doing now. Odell, you're going to go and be Odell, and we're going to do things to help you look good. And then, oh, yeah, Van Jefferson so fast he can take off the top of the defense anyway. And then Tyler Higby and everyone else kind of underneath and, you know, they run the ball, but they kind of just do it as an efficient way to keep defenses honest, even yeah. though, you know, and Cam Akers, like he's, he had six carries for 43 yards in, in the NFC championship game, but, but it felt he, so much bigger than that. Yes, honestly, ex- exactly. <laughs> it, you, it was a substantial difference in how, how it felt watching the game. Yeah. So Odell deserves a ton of credit. I, absolutely. And the, but what's funny is like, because of all the stars and everything, right. Whether, you know, obviously getting Stafford in here, there's been a lot of emphasis on the offense. 
the, the most dangerous part about the Rams is the defense. Like the defense is what's going to make it difficult for the Bengals to, to be consistent. Now it's great that it's good on good. It's Joe Burrow versus Aaron Donald in that defense, but we're going to talk about the Bengals, you know, and that offensive line going up against Aaron Donald and Von Miller and uh, uh, Floyd little, or sorry, <laughs> Leonard Floyd. Um, and, and all of these different, you know, guys that they have there. Plus you're going to have this matchup of Jamar chase versus Jalen Ramsey, which is going to be interesting. The Rams do a great job of protecting the outside. Joe Burrow's leading the NFL in uh, QB rating on outside throws. So the middle of the field is going to be open. Is Joe Burrow going to be able to attack it in that same I, way? I don't know, man. The, the way that the, the Rams defense played over the middle against the Niners was mm -hmm. elite. Like the way Nick Scott played, shout out former Penn Stater. The way Nick Scott played over the middle just plugged up everything. They couldn't get Kittle. They couldn't get Debo. They couldn't get Juwan Johnson over the middle. Nothing. But they can't do that against Joe Burrow. Like, that's the difference, is that Joe Burrow will pick them apart on the outside. Like, we talk about all the time how Joe Burrow makes these 15-yard out routes so easy. It's because of it's because of Joe Burrow. Like, Joe Burrow's amazing at throwing that ball, and the offense is schemed up to do that. So the Rams are going to have to protect outside. But can the Bengals attack them where their weakness is, where, you know, as of – I mean, like, the Rams can do anything they want defensively. Like, they're that good. Eric Weddle coming in and leading the team in tackles in the NFC Championship game after he's been on the couch for two years is absurd, yeah. right? Like, it's – and he's – I love Eric Weddle. I'm rooting for him, and, and it's a really, really great thing that they're doing there. But they're going to have to change some stuff, and it's – the matchup's really going to come down to how do the Rams – stop like slow down Joe Burrow and again we'll get into all that stuff on Friday's pod because we're getting too much into like the, the game preview yeah but the reason I brought up the like, we're talking about it is because I brought up the Rams defense which yeah. the Rams defense at every level is loaded and causes problems and they have a really really great coaching staff there and the coolest thing about the Rams defense is Aaron Donald because Aaron, Aaron Donald is J.J. Watt if J.J. Watt – or yeah, if J.J. Watt was, like, authentic. Like, nothing – and he I think he is that way. It's kind of like Russell Wilson. Like, I actually just kind of think the dude is, like, weird and kind of built that way. Yeah. Aaron Donald is – when he took the team on the sideline when they were playing Tampa Bay and uh, – or San Francisco, sorry, in, in the NFC yeah. Championship game. And he, he he's lighting into these guys. And he's kind of a quiet leader, but he does get vocal every once in a while. And the way the defense responded after that. And this is a guy who has been so good for so long where it's there, he's almost become a sympathetic figure where like, how does this dude have three defensive player of the year awards could potentially have a fourth this year and probably will have at least one more by the time it's all said and done. And he's got really nothing winning wise to show for it because the, you know, he held, he held Tom, hold Tom Brady to 13 points, right. In a Super Bowl, Yeah. And you lost yeah. the game. And that's not on Aaron Donald. And, and now he is the veteran. He's one of the best defense. He's the best defensive player of our lifetime. And yes. Yeah. He's, he's got a chance to go out and win a Super Bowl. Scotty, you hate the Rams. And I know that you like Aaron Donald because it's hard not to like the guy. Yeah, and he went him. to pit. Yeah, and he went uh, to pit. Yeah. yeah but the still. two teams that you, you hate as much as any. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> no, that's but he, I, it's hard to respect that that level of talent and, and the way he does it too. I think uh, he's never, he's never boastful. Uh, he, he's never too proud. Uh, he's a, he's a throw your helmet on and, and go to work kind of guy. Uh, 
and he does it better than anyone, uh, which which I greatly respect, despite the school he went to and the team he currently plays for. Well, and for me, what what I always compare Aaron Donald to, there are a few players like that a generation, right? And my favorite, yeah. one of my favorite players of all time, I don't want to say my favorite, but uh, was Joe Green. And the Steelers really changed their whole franchise, and they were never really good in the 60s. They were one of the worst teams. And then they drafted Joe Green, and, and that changed a lot, and he didn't win a lot in his first couple of years. Aaron Donald came into a better situation, and why I think they're comparable is they completely dictate – how a game goes, because as a quarterback, we watch on TV and we see one thing, right? But when you're a quarterback and you take a snap, unless you're turning and handing it off, as you're stepping back, the first thing you're seeing, you're looking up, but you see your line push back towards you. And when you see an Aaron Donald push, just bull rush, and just lifting guys up who are incredibly (laughs) bigger than him, right? You look at the line, like, oh, we have a bigger lineman than him. We're going to be okay. And he just lifts them up off the ground. I mean, it, it, changes the whole focal point of the attack of the running game, how a quarterback's mindset is as he's dropping back. Like it's so different when you have an edge rusher than when you have a a guy who's bull rushing up the middle at you. And Mm -hmm. I I just, I think for him coming into this team and changing that dynamic of their defense and making them no matter what happens, like we talk about, we talked about this pod, Bob Sanders coming in with Indy, no matter what happens, if this defense is mediocre, I believe they can make it happen because Aaron Donald can take over a game and dominate one side of the ball by himself. And I think that's the difference, let alone, you know, Jalen Ramsey can dominate one half of the field. And we've seen Von Miller dominate a Super Bowl in this decade. Mm-hmm. So like when you put all that together, this, I think you're right, Jeff, like this defense and not to mention all of the role players that are still just that are growing and becoming better. And I don't even call them role players, just teammates. It's a yeah. good all-around defense. And I just think that, you know, when it comes down to how they're going to play in a Super Bowl, the fact that Aaron Donald's lost one, I think is going to be a huge factor. And the fact that Aaron, and Von Miller's and he's at home. Ramsey <laughs> hasn't been there. So, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, look, I mean, Jalen Ramsey is sneaky experienced in, in big games. He's played yeah. in three conference championship games because he played in the one for Jacksonville when they lost to New England. And this is mm-hmm. going to be his second Super Bowl. And we're going up against a team that, based off of resume and record alone, if you told me the Bengals are 10 and 7 and you show me their roster, I'd say has no business being in the Super Bowl. And yet they are, right, because of Joe Burrow. And that's one of the reasons why I think this game is so fascinating is because there's no logical reason to pick Joe Burrow. This is the epitome of brain versus gut. It's one team is, is very clearly a better roster a defense that's incredibly difficult to to score against, to move the ball consistently against. And on the other side is this guy that is some mystic, magical figure doing things we've just never seen a guy as inexperienced at the NFL level do with the level of confidence in which he does it. And you're right. Like the fact that Aaron Donald lost the game, lost the Super Bowl and and has been in multiple conference championship games is going to matter. That's like that speech to this against the Niners felt different. It felt like something we hadn't seen from, you know, from LA and and that defense, despite all the Donald too, particularly. Yeah. And from, and from Aaron Donald, but then look at their last, you know, three out of their last four games, they blew a lead, right? They, or, or at least we're losing in the game. They blew the lead against San Francisco in week 18. They handled Arizona comfortably, but then they blew 27 to three against Tom Brady and they barely yeah. squeaked away. And then they were down 10 points 
to San Francisco and they're in the fourth quarter and they fight their way back and somehow actually end up winning that game. So this defense can be had despite all the talent. The question for me is, did that speech, that, that, that fourth quarter speech change something in them intrinsically, right? They know all the fluff, all the pomps and circumstance, right? All that stuff that you see from, uh, you know, like from Super Bowl week as a player participating, they know like, hey, we have the longer halftime and all the other cliches and shit, right? That, that we hear about the Super Bowl. That stuff does matter. And the Rams have gone through that. Stafford hasn't, but a lot of the team has. The mm-hmm. Bengals have none of that. They're not supposed to be here, quote unquote. And yet they will have a chance. The logic, the experience, all that stuff tells you like the Rams probably should be the favorite in this game. And they are. Um, but that's what makes it so intriguing. And that's what we're going to be able to get into on uh, on Friday's pot. So uh, stay tuned for that. Any last thoughts about recapping this Rams team uh, and the season that they've had? Because I think I think we've pretty much hit everything here. So um, the only other thing I would say about the Rams is, again, they get to play at home. Yeah, There's something to be said about it. Isn't that wild? There hasn't been ever a Super Bowl where the home team plays in it. And now two years in a row, we have that. Yeah. And two years in a row, there won't be any fans for the home team at the game. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, because L.A. doesn't have any fans. That's uh, but- the joke, so- Scott. <laughs> yeah. Scotty uh, got the joke. Also, we nailed I think it. Both of them. I think, I think also they're away this year again. The NFC. So long story short, I'm pretty sure they both get to call coin tosses in their own home stadiums, which I'm extremely jealous of. Yeah, it's a rarity cool. in sports. That's cool. We want the ball. And we're going to score. Yeah. Bengals wearing white. That's a <laughs> Bengals are wearing white. That's a prop we'll talk about on uh, on Friday's pod. That's for sure. No, they're wearing black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Rams the Bengals are, are wearing their whites. No, I don't Rams think are... so. Rams are wearing black. They posed the official account like posted a picture. Yeah, I thought Rams were in white, and I think white is what fourteen and three. The team that wears white is like fourteen and three in the last seventeen Super Bowls. Yeah, but the thing is, is this is an yeah, underdog. The Niners story. are the. No, this <laughs> this is this is the underdog story. <laughs> Similar. When's the last time we had the underdog win a Super Bowl? Philadelphia Eagles. You know what color? Yeah. You know what color the Philadelphia Eagles won? Because at that yeah, time it had greens. been a long stretch. Midnight they were green. wearing midnight fucking green. <laughs> And I can't wait for Saturday night when I do my yearly tradition of watching the entire broadcast of the 2017-18 Super Bowl, Super Bowl 52. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Every that was just a couple fan, of days ago. <laughs> every do- it, The anniversary was, but the Saturday before the Super Bowl, every fan of an NFL team that has won, like their team has won a Super Bowl, you should watch in their, if you're lucky, in their lifetime. Ones. Yeah, in their lifetime. You should find the – it should be a rule. You watch – your team won a Super Bowl because that way you can at least feel good about everything because uh, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah, just like had that. the anniversary of the other day. Uh, to close out the show, I mentioned at the top, all the head coaches are now f- are all filled. And speaking of the Super Bowl 52, speaking Doug Peterson <laughs> is now the head coach in Jacksonville. Now, when this whole when the whole Urban Meyer thing happened, like whatever week of the season that was, halfway through the season, I said on this podcast, Jacksonville should hire Doug Peterson. And then before the season was even over, the regular season, and I think it was week 17, they interviewed him first time for a head coaching job. 
And then it felt like, oh, this is kind of a sham. He interviewed a couple other places, nothing works out. And then at the 11th hour, after all the shit with Byron Leftwich and, and Trent Balky, who is still going to be there, Doug Peterson gets the job. And Trevor Lawrence has done a, a really, really good job, and he doesn't get credit for what he had to do this year, which was because Urban Meyer just wouldn't talk to people and coaching staff wouldn't talk to people. He had to be the face of the franchise publicly, which is an insane weight to put on a kid, especially given everything that happened surrounding that Jacksonville team throughout the season. And he did it with flying colors. And now he's got a guy who's won a Super Bowl, has helped build a top draft pick into a pro bowler, into a borderline MVP candidate. And I think Jacksonville got a great guy. I, I, I just, I know I had my frustrations with Dougie P and he got real stubborn at the end, but it was a toxic work environment. It wasn't going to work. They all move on. I think he's going to be a home run and Philly hosts Jacksonville next year, which I would put money down will be the longest standing ovation for an opposing player or coach in Philly sports history. The highest ticket price in Philadelphia Eagles history in the last 20 years. Uh, no, I, uh, I agree with you, Jeff. I think it's a home run. I really do. I think it's great for the situation. I think um, the the way that he has proven that he can uh, coach up particularly prime talent like he did with with Carson Wentz, I think this is a great opportunity to to do that with uh, with Trevor Lawrence as well. So uh, home run. I, my only trepidation is the relationship with Trent Baalke because he's kind of a cancer. <laughs> you know, he what. Did the same Supposedly, thing in, in, uh, yeah. in San Francisco. So, um, oh yeah, I guess so it was. Yeah, maybe that's that's bias talking, but uh, we'll we'll see. I, I think that relationship's gonna gonna have a big deal to do with how the franchise develops. But all the pieces are there, and and I think uh, he's a great guy to uh, to help lead that that team into the direction that they want to go. And I, and yeah, great hire. Yeah, man. I mean, it's a slam dunk. It's a quarterback guy. Jeff, you call it from day one. You, you got me on your train. Like the, my, again, my, my best friend growing up, Nick Calcaterra, diehard Jacksonville fan, had a signed Byron Leftwich jersey, still has it, was ready to bust it back out. But I was telling him, man, like, this is a good hire. I mean, this is good. And, and his response was a classic Jaguars one of like, man, when your team's disappointed you as much as we have, like, I'm waiting to see the what the downside is, right? Mm-hmm. Irvin was like a you know, a pretty good hire and it just keeps happening to them. So I just, I really hope for everyone's sake that like, yeah, he does turn this around. Like you said, think about Zach Taylor and think about the Bengals and how they had Burrow and and Jags have Lawrence. And then they got a, a, you know, a high high first round pick and Jacksonville is actually the number one pick again, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be able to just have such an infusion of talent in these, these next couple of years. I I think Doug's the guy who can get them structured and get them going. I'm really excited for that franchise. Yeah, and I think Doug's the guy that can like, you know, we've seen all these like departures from from the franchise because people don't want to be there for what for whatever reason, and that comes from the top. And I think the the culture change of hiring a guy like Doug Peterson is going to change that around uh, like a, into a complete one eighty. I really yeah. do. Well, and, and, and shout out Vito, by the way, to to you mentioned Nick Alcatara. We shouted out his brother Grant, who played in the uh, in the Senior Bowl this week. Yeah. Yeah, we, oh, yeah, we went over some senior bowl stuff catches, those dope. last last week. Um, Doug Peterson, I said this when when I first brought up Doug Peterson being in Jacksonville. He is a a franchise settler, right? He's someone who's going to be able to 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 turn the temperature down 
stabilize the franchise, and then hopefully set up a, a legitimate foundation on which to build on, which the Eagles still benefited from right now, right? That is part of what, you know, Doug Peterson did was he helped build a foundation that lasted a long time. That's a hard thing to do as a head coach, but it's something that he's already done. Obviously the Super Bowl, we know all that. He's going to be in a place that, that needs him. And I get that Jacksonville fans probably are a little bit disappointed. I think they like the hire, but they probably in their heart of hearts would rather have Byron Leftwich. Leftwich, even though they're two completely different people, falls under the same category as what Urban Meyer was last year, which is a risky, the name. splashy hire. You know, you're pulling the guy out of college who's an all-time winner, and, oh, here's the hometown guy who played here when the franchise first started, and we're going to bring him back. And by the way, if Jacksonville was in, say, Denver's situation where they were hiring a head coach, but they had Denver's roster and didn't have to deal with everything that they had to deal with this year, I'd say hire Byron Leftwich. Go for it. Take the risk. You're coming off of Vic Fangio. Take the risk, Jacksonville. But they're not. They're coming off of one of the biggest disasters at head coach that we've had in the last decade, if not the last 20 years. It is up there. It, is, it was a horrendous deal. And you need somebody who is going to be the Tums, who's going to be the stomach settler, yeah. who just takes oh. everything, Don't I know it, it down, and <laughs> hey, let yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, Jacksonville had a little too many hot wings and beer last night. And now his stomach's upset. All right, well. Uh, Urban Meyer's bar, nonetheless. Couple of Tums, three Advil, you're good to go. Take That's some Pepto. That's what Doug <laughs> Peterson is. And then after that, you're ready to go again, right? You're ready to build it up again. And that's what Doug Peterson's going to bring. So I think it's a fantastic hire. And I think he was, I think it's insane that it took as long as it did for Doug Peterson to get a job um, because he's a proven winner. He's done it. And, and that's really what you can ask for. Uh, the other coaches, Mike McDaniel, your guy, San Francisco, Funny dude, really quirky. Seems like he's a, he a character in like a Netflix show or something. Uh, not going <laughs> to get his legalized weed that he wants, but uh, seems like a good hire. But look, Dolphin, the Dolphins are they're a dumpster fire right now with everything going on with this lawsuit. The more we find out about Brian Flores and this law and this lawsuit and and Stephen Ross there, uh, the owner of of Miami. Plus, you got the Tua stuff. There's no way they're making a trade for Deshaun Watson now. Um, they're in a weird spot, but I'm rooting yeah. for Mike McDaniel. I think he's. I think he he could be really good. I just think that. I job think is- I. I think it's a weird hire too, because to to that end, you needed somebody to kind of stabilize, you know, the team. And not that Mike can't do this, but like, you needed a a, a strong figurehead who's probably had some experience to to look at the team and go, hey, drown out all that bullshit. Let's go play football between the lines, okay. McDaniel's never had coaching experience, uh, head coaching experience. And uh, so we'll see how, how that reaction goes. The other thing too, I'm really bummed, man. I really want to see his offense with Trey Lance in it. That mm. would have been super elite, uh, but Oh, well, good for him. Uh, he did a great job with what he had in, uh, in San Francisco and well, and hopefully the dolphins wise up and get out of mediocrity and get a little better. Cause I have a fun little he, web he can call an offensive game for sure. He's, he's, and, and I have a fun little connection web that I know both of you guys are going to love about Mike McDaniel, right? And, and why, why Dolphins fans could be optimistic about this, right? So, Tua played for Steve Sarkeesian at Alabama. Mm-hmm. Steve Sarkeesian went to Alabama after being the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons on the year uh, and working with Matt Ryan and learning Kyle Shanahan's offense. Kyle Shanahan 
passes that along to C. Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian takes that to Alabama, teaches Tua how to run in it. Tua wins the national championship. He's a Heisman finalist, unbelievable college quarterback, right? He's now in Miami. Well, Mike McDaniel coached for and coaches the same offense as Kyle Shanahan, who created the offense that Tua's college offensive coordinator taught him, which is a very, very comfortable situation for Tua. So, theoretically, the offense that is going to be run in Miami now, which was very different from what they've been running with Brian Flores, is going to be something that Tua is very comfortable with and should be able to thrive in. Talk about nerdy and quirky. (laughs) I mean, this guy. (laughs) <laughs> yes i know it's nerdy to put together webs like that but i found that so interesting yeah it is yeah, right like i i don't know it's just it's a very it's a very cool web and and i think to a i think it could help to a lot um to kind of let him open stuff up because Tua has not been in an offense like he was in in alabama and i think this move is a we're committed to Tua move at least for the next, you know, couple of years, which is why I think there's no yeah. likely outcome here with the Deshaun Watson trade. Cause I heard Mike Flora talking about this not that long ago. Like the Deshaun Watson thing might take two years. So yeah, like two years in total. So like he may not play next year. I also had that thought the other yeah. day that it's really wild that like Deshaun Watson's gone. And we were just like, Oh yeah, we don't <laughs> like Deshaun Watson just didn't play in the NFL this year. And, and like for good reason, but like he wasn't suspended. Right, that's the there was no part. issue. He just there was no punishment. He there, just said, just "I'm not like, playing." He's never cut. Yeah, it's, it's like Le'Veon it's Bell. Just, yeah, but with one it, of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And that's the crazy part over. is like we missed a guy who was easily one of the top five highlight reel guys of the last three years. Like he would always. It was just him. Anyway, it's crazy that like with how great of a season we have and all those quarterbacks we're talking about, we're not even mentioning a guy who was considered top five last year. Yeah. <laughs> Right. I mean, he had more he was responsible for more yards uh, for the Houston Texans in 2020 than any player has ever been responsible for a single team. Yeah. His total yard is on your fantasy team that year, too, Jeff. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Is that is that problematic now? Do I have to do a a notes app type up and and apologize on Twitter? (laughs) Some some recent uh, things have been brought to my attention that I was once. Uh, the owner of Deshaun Watson in my fantasy league. Uh, <laughs> that's not Cast- who I am or what that's I That's not who I am. And Castellanos <laughs> hits a deep drive into left field, and that's going to make it a 4 nothing. And that's going to be four nothing ball game. <laughs> I might do that. Yes. I, might, I might make that tweet to put out with this, this podcast. I love it. Um, so, yeah, Mike McDaniel, good luck. Uh, the other two that were finalized today, Monday, February 7th, uh, Lovey Smith, head coach again. Reportedly, it's not official, um, but he's going to be the head coach of the Houston Texans. The Texans, uh, look, I don't like really like this hire. Um, I guess credit to the Texans, right? I mean, it's the only black head coach hired and given all the Brian Flores stuff. Um, it's interesting, right? It, it, in the timing so of it, why not just hire? They just fired, a, they just fired a black head coach. Um, and David Culley, which felt a little bit like sacrificial lamb. I'm not trying to be pessimistic here. And obviously this is a lot of speculation on my part. So I'm not trying to assume things, but it, it's not a great look um, given kind of the current climate around the NFL and what's happening with this lawsuit and, and talking about the Rooney rule and the fact that they just kind of did the same thing that's happened to other coaches in the past. So I, again, I hope this is not the case and I hope that they just really yeah. believe in Lovey Smith, but 
Levy Smith, he got worn out and was just very mediocre with the Bears, right? Like they they went to the one Super Bowl with an amazing defense, and they were never really close to being an organization, like a, a top tier organization again. He goes to Illinois. I get college is different, but not great not, there either. Did, though did not do well. I mean, seeing what Brett Bielema's doing at Illinois already, and how much improved that team is already in the, in the two seasons he's been there, compared to what Lovey Smith did in five seasons there, uh, it, it's not a good look. He was defensive coordinator this year for a defense that played hard, but also was super untalented. And this is a team with zero direction. Davis Mills looked good down the stretch. Maybe he's your answer, but like at best is, is Davis Mills, Kirk cousins. He's not a great athlete. He's got a good arm, but like what's his ceiling. Is it Kirk cousins? Is that going to make you middle of the road? What happens to Sean Watson? And you just fired a coach after one year. So is there any chance that they would do that again? Probably not. So I just, I don't, I don't get it. But I commend them for at least like, you know, hiring hiring somebody who's not a white dude in a Sean McVay offense or Kyle yeah. Shanahan but offense. here's here's what we don't want is right. So <clears throat> we talked a lot about on Friday's podcast the Rooney Rule how it doesn't work. We talked about it last year as well. What we don't want now that Flores has come out with with his lawsuit and, and allegations. Uh, what we don't want is this outcry of, oh, well, there aren't uh, so many uh, people of color who were, who were coaches and executives in the league. All that stuff that we talked about. We don't want the outcry and then uh, reactionary, okay, we'll hire this black guy, this black guy, this, this person of color. Uh, and then next year, it's just we've, we've put it under the cover and forget about it because uh, that's so easy to do. And we, we've, we've done that historically uh, in, in a social context uh, for the entire history of this country. So uh, I, I just, I hope that's not what is happening. And, and I hope that the, whatever Flores's mission is continues rather than, you know, gets resolved by a few, you know. Oh yeah. Like this uh, isn't going to impact the lawsuit whatsoever. It, yeah. If, if but anything, I, I just don't want it to be like a, 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 yeah, that's what I don't. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want it's it to a be perception a perception for of like, the hey, look what we're doing, guys. Ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I actually think this is a slam dunk hire. So, and I'll tell you why. I think the Texans are in such fucking turmoil with everything with Deshaun Watson, with everything going on. They just need a guy who's been in the NFL. And when they hear when you hear Lovey Smith's an NFL head coach, you're like, okay, you know what I mean? It's just like, yes, this is a stable guy who's been in a franchise for a long time. And I feel like the Texans just need a guy who's been there, done that. I think his track record at Illinois is scary, but college is a, I feel like also NFL is a lot less, I would say. Uh, yeah. I mean, like just, if we're, if we're not going to hold time, if we're not going to hold it against Nick Saban for not being a, an amazing NFL coach or, or Urban Meyer and these other guys, it works both ways too. The college yeah. game is, is completely different with recruiting and it's tough to, to win at a place like Illinois as well. So no, it's a great, it point. is. And so like, I think that they just need a guy who's going to be like, listen, we, we got this young quarterback. We don't know if he's the answer. Can you give us like three years to figure our shit out and like maybe teach us like how to run a full yeah. organization again, like from the front office all the way through, like they've had to deal with so many other things. I feel like just getting a guy who's a football guy who's just going to coach. Um, I think it's actually great. And I think that like this, yes, he's black, but I think it's more for me, like the experience that he has, and then also, you know, Brian Flores is up for this job. And I think I actually just looked his, his agent just tweeted something out about like, 
this is a great and and he's super stoked that like a black coach got hired by the texans but like he was in the running too so it's also it's just like it's it's the whole thing of like yes you don't want it to overreact but i do think that like when i see the biggest need from the texans it's like just get your shit together and i feel like lovey smith he's not like you said he's not going to take you to the super bowl i don't think again but i feel like he might be able to help them get their shit together (laughs) And you know what? There, there is a ton of truth in that. All right. And we, I just made the same case for Doug Peterson and Jacksonville. Right. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why this one is a little bit eyebrow raising is because of the reputation of this organization in particular. Um, the way that that, that whole team is run, the ownership's not great. Um, they have that weird like preacher guy, Jack Easterby. Uh, who who like has a hand he is no football background but he has a hand in the organization and in football decisions uh nick casario who was a former new england executive is their gm uh but then he also kind of works with this easterby guy and and there's some and again we'll know more once we hear details about the deshaun watson case and, and everything about that but there was a lot of weird stuff where like the lawyer who was going against deshaun watson is a personal friend of the owner and and is like actually is like next door neighbor and they have like these like weird ties not trying to insinuate anything i legitimately don't know however there's just a tendency with this team plus the fact that they just fired a black head coach after one year it, it just it's just a little more eyebrow raising i think is probably a better way to put it right like i in good faith you're right having a coach who's a lifer who someone's gonna come in and hopefully just hold down the fort is big. Plus Lovey Smith has, was with, you know, Houston all season. He was the defensive coordinator this year. He knows the team, he knows the locker room. It's almost like hiring an interim head coach without actually hiring or, you know, without like having an interim title. Like it's that same kind of thing where he's just taking over. Now he's going to be the new head coach. And I I just think it's, it's something to at least pay attention to. Right. Cause if it's like, Oh, well, we're going to give him two years. Right. Is that well, that's fair, the thing right? you can't give him one year again. I think that's the biggest part is you, I don't think any coach ever should get fired. I should accept that or Meyer deserve to get fired, but most coaches that are just go through a season, like you shouldn't fire a head coach after one year. I firmly believe that two, if it's bad, usually three, but I know this is the NFL and that doesn't happen as often as, as I would like. And, and at some point he's probably going to be fired because there's not a high ceiling with him and the whole team. So it could be three years of this and they go, all right, well now we're ready to, to take a chance or to, you know, to take a shot and we're going to go off and do this. And, and that might be part of, you know, this whole situation for, for Houston as well, where they're like, yeah, you know what he, but even still it's a sacrificial lamb, but just for the short term, you know, instead of it being one year though, it's going to be three years. And then it's like, oh, we're going to be ready to go. And I think given the history and, and Scotty and I talked about this last week about the Flores thing, it's Steve Wilkes had one year, right? Black head coach. Van Joseph had two years, black head coach. Uh, Brian Flores, three years, black head coach, and won a bunch of games in Miami. This yeah. is a trend that we've seen m- predominantly more for black head coaches in the last 10 years than we've seen it for white head coaches. And yes, there are examples, um, but considering proportionally how many more white head coaches there are already than black head coaches, the fact that that number is in the same for guys fired within the first three, you know, two or three years is the same between black and white coaches is a pretty identifiable problem that already exists within the coaching structure and the hiring process of the NFL, which is a huge reason why Brian Flores went out and, and made this thing anyway. Um, 
But along the conversation of defensive coordinators knows the team promoting within kind of a deal, that's exactly what the New Orleans Saints did, which brings us to our last coach, which Dennis Allen getting promoted officially as the head coach today, uh, taking over for Sean Payton, who retired. I think a lot of people thought this is where they, the direction that New Orleans was going to go. Dennis Allen was the interim head coach when Sean Payton was uh, suspended for a year because of the bounty gate stuff. And I think it makes a lot of sense because similar to Houston, right? This team has a long way to go to rebuild. And I think kind of staying within makes sense. But for that organization that has a better track record than Houston, uh, it it makes sense to me that they keep Dennis Allen. Vito, you are eagerly uh, excited to jump in here. What do you got? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, um, I, I, I actually don't know if I love the hire or not. Like I I'm kind of mediocre about it. I'm, I think it's the first time for a while, wasn't he? (laughs) Yeah. But I I think the whole point is that like, this is the first time I think as a whole, I'm not stoked about this franchise. Hmm. I mean, arguably, right. This is the worst the Orleans States have been in 15 years now in terms of like what you think their future is. So it's like, okay, there's a whole like rebranding situation, just right. Finding your new, I mean, besides James Winston, who your new stars are going to be and, and really drafting well and, and building that team back up. I mean, they have some great players. Don't get me wrong, but I, I just think that and they're like, in salary cap hell though. Well, and, and they're going to have all of those issues. My point, why I'm so excited is there is a movie on Netflix called <laughs> yes. home team. Yep. I did not know what this is. I watched it this weekend. You uh, actually it, watched it? Yes. Oh my god. Yes. It was so good. It was so good. I, it was like a good movie, dude. I like enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, it's the it's it the is, Netflix algorithm figuring it out. It's not a good movie. There's no uh, way it's know, a good man. movie. It's Kevin. It's Kevin James and Taylor Lautner. It's Kevin, Kevin James, James playing Sean Payton. Here's this pissed, guy. How pissed is guys. Sean Payton, by the way? That Kevin well, James is playing Kevin him in the James movie. is playing me. Get yeah. So Kevin James is Sean Payton <laughs> the year he's off from Bounty Gate, and he goes to his son's like football team and becomes an assistant coach technically under yes Taylor Lautner, which is freaking hilarious that he's the coach. And obviously he takes over and, and kind of runs it. And to get in co- and like you know with his son who obviously is moving around a lot. This is dramatized obviously, and I don't know how much is real or not. But it, honestly, I put it on for an hour and a half or whatever it is, not super long. I totally enjoyed it. Just a guy who I like, you know, there's some basis of what I never even thought to myself, what did Sean Payton do during all that time? Right. Mm-hmm. And it kind I, remember of explores- the, I remember the stories of him coaching his son's team. Like, I do remember that when he was when he was suspended. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's some cool moments. And well, like it's a it, good it's a gold good recommendation i'll tell you this 10 year old me would have thought it was the greatest movie ever made probably but maybe i wouldn't get some of the references and everything. yeah well i i guess the point i'm getting at is i don't know if this head coach is going to work out but he was the guy who took over like you said during that time period he's been around for so long and arguably he was the guy who probably should have been suspended for bounty gate in the first place well kind that of was ironic. that was greg williams oh <laughs> Okay. Greg Williams yeah. was was the DC yeah. at the time, and Dennis he, Allen. He was, was your DC him. at the time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he came he came over after. I'm sorry. Um, because yeah, Greg Allen was gone right away. Yeah, never mind. Um, but he he was been around since that time period since he took over. Uh, and he's been around the Saints for a long time, so that's good for the franchise. I think it's 
again, a situation where you might get a few years, but um, you got to get this team back to winning, especially New Orleans after they've had that taste. And they were a franchise that's down for so long before that. So, you know, yeah. this is a new expectation. And you talk about winning. I mean, he's he was the head coach of the Raiders for a couple of years. He has a 4-12 and 12 record uh, as, as a head coach. So um, <clears throat> in two seasons, but uh, credit to him. He, uh, he realized that Terrell Pryor was the uh, worst of the two uh, Big Ten quarterbacks between him and Matt McGloin when Matt McGloin was with the Raiders. So uh, he played Matt, Matty McGloin. Uh, no, but look, uh, he, he's had a tremendous career as a, as, a, as a coach on the defensive side of the ball. And the thing is with the Saints right now, right? Like, you know, you're in turmoil, but which side of the ball is that on? Mm-hmm. It's on the offensive side of the ball, right? So if you can keep the defense stable, and, and that's been his bread and butter over the over the past few years, including the Super Bowl win that he had some 12 years ago, um, but particularly in the second stint here over the past, uh, over the past what, uh, seven or eight years. Um, if you keep that side stable, build a little bit of the offense, you're right, Vito. I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the end-all, be-all, uh, but I think as long as you can keep that, the, the defensive side of the ball stable with him, at the helm and, uh, and work on rebuilding the offense. Um, and then obviously uh, recouping that defense uh, for, for whatever is going to get lost at the end. I mean, Cam Jordan is not getting any younger. So, uh, but I think it's, I think it's a good stability hire is my point. So. Yeah. And I think I actually might've just full out lied. I, he may not have actually been the interim head coach when that happened. So <laughs> I might've just been a complete lie. So my apologies on that one. A lot but of corrections. Hey, we he love was, the live corrections. He was. Yeah, I thought he was the Broncos' defensive coordinator. So no, he was. He was. Uh, a decade, yeah. He was an assistant on the Saints when that happened. He was also an assistant on the Saints when they won the Super Bowl in 2009. Then he went to the Broncos uh, to be the defensive coordinator for a little bit. Uh, then he got the head coach with the Raiders job and then came back to New Orleans afterwards. Uh, he was an interim head coach uh, for for a couple of games. Uh, sparingly with his time with the, with the Saints, um, but no, he was actually not the uh, the head coach there during during the suspended year. So that's my bad. Sorry, people. Look, sometimes we're wrong about stuff. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I I don't know. I just I, I like it as, as a whole. Um, it, it goes back to the stability thing, but this is going to be a long seventy two million dollars over the cap. They have a lot of shit that they got to do next year. They're going to probably lose Marcus Williams, who's their best player in the secondary. Um, and, and probably just the best player on defense. Oh, all, all, and yeah. yeah. And, and Marshawn Lattimore is up to um, no answer quarterback, like none whatsoever. Taysom Hill is on the book still um, from his, his weird contract. It was like a hundred million dollars going to come up with. <laughs> and is Kamara even going to be in the league next year? Right? Like, I, I don't know. Or is he going to get suspended because of stuff? Like they're clearly getting and ready no for wide a receivers. Rebuild. Yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're clearly getting ready for a rebuild here. And um, and the, the one other part of this, too, is Mickey Loomis has been the GM there since 2006. Uh, he, he's been there since, you know, when they hired Sean Payton. He was there and was was the one that made the trade for or, or signed Drew Brees. Um, and, and he's he's been behind the scenes for one of the most successful franchises in the NFL over the last 15 years. And and having somebody with that kind of tenure, I think, helps a lot. And there's already a working relationship between Allen and Loomis. He obviously came back a second time as an assistant coach. I, I think it's a good hire for where they're at, like we were talking about with Houston. I think the difference is just the circumstances in which they got there. Houston is a suspect organization. New Orleans is a Super Bowl champion organization. 
uh, that that's coming off of a, a hall of fame coach retiring, you know, not out of the blue entirely, but you know, retiring after a long time. And I think that stability as they reset things will, will help, but you know, they're cap wizards in, in all over the NFL, but New Orleans in particular is one of those organizations that's really, really good uh, at being able to fix cap things, and um, I think it's going to help them. So uh, good for Dennis Allen. The coaching cycle as of now is complete. We have our full list of new head coaches. Um, Matt Eberflus for the Bears, Nathaniel Hackett for the Broncos, Dayball with the Giants, Josh McDaniels with the Raiders, Kevin O'Connell with the Vikings, Jags, Doug Peterson, Dolphins, Mike McDaniel, Texans, Lovey Smith, and Saints, Dennis Allen. Uh, that is all we got. Great pod. Love you both. Thank you for coming on. And we will have another podcast this week getting you ready for Super Bowl Sunday. We're going to go over prop bets, even the offshore ones that like gambling snobs, like, why well, you guys bet on that? You can't even get that American. It's fun. It's fun to guess what the Gatorade color is going to be. So get off your and high I bet on all of it. I, all of it, guys. We're, we got some research to do. Who would have thought Who's that coming this- out first at halftime? Oh, yeah, right? Oh, jeez. Oh, we, I, but that, see, we can find that out. We'll get some National Anthem link. Coin toss. I'll be watching some tape. I'll be watching yeah. some tape. How long the is the halftime yeah. show? All this stuff. Got, a, got so much good stuff coming up. It's a degenerate All that more. <laughs> holiday. And we'll actually talk football as well, and we'll break down the game. So uh, for Scotty, for Vito, I'm Jeff. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you guys on Friday to get you ready for the Super Bowl. As always, take it easy, everybody.